The Brewers and the rest of the NFL cut their rosters to 53. The Badgers get set to kick off the 2022 campaign, as well as a lot of other teams in college football. The Brewers, well, the best thing we can say is the franchise Tim Allen is back on the radio waves doing post-game shows here in Milwaukee. And the PGA and the Live Tour, they're back at it again. We're talking about that and more on this edition of the 414 Sports Podcast. Let's go. But instead, it's the 414 Sports Podcast, and it starts right now. This is the 414 Sports Podcast. I'm Don Wachillis. Thank you so much for logging in and joining us, whether you've done so on Spotify, Google, Apple, or any of the other five platforms that we currently reside on. Appreciate it if you'd hit that subscribe button as we continue to move forward covering sports here in southeastern Wisconsin and around the country for that matter. We'll kick things off today with the fact that The NFL, as everybody knows now, has set their roster at 53. That includes the Green Bay Packers. Everybody has got what they believe to be their roster established. And, of course, then today we're putting this together on Wednesday morning. So as the day progresses, you're going to start to see teams releasing their 16-man practice squad. So some teams who may have shocked their fan base by releasing a young up-and-comer, the rookie standout, that fifth-round pick who kind of made a name for themselves during the preseason may find themselves on the practice squad and have some life yet on that team. So those storylines will progress as the day goes on. For the Green Bay Packers, maybe the only Uh, headline that came out of the final roster cut was the Packers released Danny Etling, who would have been the third-string quarterback. Now, Danny may again find himself on the practice squad, but Jordan Love now has cemented himself once again as the backup to Aaron Rodgers. And again, out of all of the various storylines coming out of the final cut, that really is the headline. So if that's the headline you kind of knew how the roster would be set as we move into game one, which is coming up in a little over a week as the Packers will take on the Minnesota Vikings. We'll be talking about the Vikings and that Packer matchup more and more as we get closer to it. But before we get to that point, again, you know, there's always those headlines where teams release somebody that kind of shock the rest of the football community. For instance, the Raiders. They released Alex Leatherwood, who was a first-round draft pick back in 2021. Things have not panned out, so you see his name plastered all over the place. But there were two cuts made by an AFC team that I think as Packer fans we need to keep an eye on. And one of the things I've said moving forward with the fact that we really didn't draft 
a stud wide receiver. It didn't fall into our lap. Other than Sammy Watkins, there wasn't that initial grab for a big name free agent wide receiver. And one of the things we always seem to wait for is this 53-man roster finality where some teams will cut a veteran because they have a youth movement. And when they cut that veteran, that's the kind of player that could step in and make a difference, for instance, on a team like the Green Bay Packers. The team I'm talking about is the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs cut two receivers that I think are noteworthy and to keep an eye on moving forward. One of those receivers cut by the Kansas City Chiefs, I have a feeling may find himself on their practice squad, but the other bigger name receiver I think is going to be scooped up by somebody rather quick, and I'm kind of hoping it would be the Green Bay Packers. So um, speaking of the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Kansas City Chiefs in making their roster have cut Josh Gordon. Now, Josh Gordon is an established wide receiver. Josh Gordon got caught up in the numbers game. That youth movement that Kansas City is in the process of cementing themselves in with the likes of Juju Smith-Schuster. Obviously, they've gotten MVS as a free agent coming from Green Bay. Suddenly, Josh Gordon found himself being expendable as far as the Chiefs went. He would be a great veteran addition to this Green Bay Packers squad. So if you would have the likes of a Josh Gordon and a Sammy Watkins mixed in with this current group of wide receivers that the Packers possess, that definitely, I think, would change the dynamics on the offensive side on the ball. I think everybody going into this season is pretty confident about the Packers defensively. I think people are pretty confident offensively, not as much because we've got questions at the offensive line and we still have those questions at the receiver core. There was another receiver that the Kansas City Chiefs released and a receiver that maybe doesn't have the marquee that Josh Gordon has and that receiver is Darius Fountain. Now, Fountain was one of those who made a name for himself during preseason, and Fountain has some versatility that would benefit the Green Bay Packers in that he was good with his route tree, great hands, catching the ball well, good speed, but he also had that dual threat of what he was able to do on special teams as well. So two names I want Packer fans to keep an eye on right now. It's Josh Gordon and Darius Fountain of the Kansas City Chiefs. And knowing the way things go as I make predictions, I've probably put the kiss of death as far as the Green Bay Packers having a chance. But those were two names that really popped out in going through and seeing all of the various cuts that were being made for the NFL teams to get down to their 53-man roster. There's one other storyline that we have to comment on, and I think it becomes rather interesting just because of the soap opera nature of it. And that is the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo ended up signing with the San Francisco 49ers. Now, we know the San Francisco 49ers are going forward with Trey Lance. And again, after that first preseason game against the Green Bay Packers, 
everybody was really excited about Trey Lance and what he might be able to do. Now I'll go back and say this. Watch as the season progresses if Trey Lance doesn't have a similar a similar experience to what Zach Wilson had with the New York Jets. Zach Wilson, remember, last year, first preseason game against Green Bay was lights out. And the New York media, which dominates in many cases, like the ESPNs of the world, went absolutely bananas, like they were getting ready to order his gold jacket after one preseason game against second and third string players on the Green Bay Packers. That same scenario played out with Trey Lance this year, and suddenly everybody is in a fervor of what Trey Lance can do. Now, Trey Lance has more athletic ability than Zach Wilson. Trey Lance, I think, has a better arm than Zach Wilson. But Trey Lance has to see what life is like in regular season games when teams are scheming for you, when teams figure out what your weaknesses are and even what your strengths are and how they scheme that defense in order to contain you. But now with the signing of Jimmy Garoppolo, who if I'm Jimmy Garoppolo, why not? You took a huge pay cut because the open market really wasn't there for you this year and that market may change as the season goes where a trade may find itself on the doorsteps of the San Francisco 49ers. But to have a former starting quarterback as your backup, a quarterback that took them deep into the playoffs a couple of times with a bunch of veterans around who remember that, who are obviously rooting, I would say, for Trey Lance. I mean, they're there are no reports really of, let's say, bad blood when it comes to Trey Lance. It's just a really peculiar situation. I heard Richard Sherman say it's almost as if a couple got divorced, the man went out and got himself another wife, and they're living in the house, and the ex-wife is still living there going, yeah, that's okay. It's just a really strange situation. So will we see somebody like Jimmy Garoppolo, as the season moves forward in those first couple of weeks, injuries always play a part, obviously, in the NFL, get traded. I mean, for Jimmy Garoppolo, yes, it's a pay cut, but it's still $6 million. And for the 49ers, it's a definite benefit financially on the business side of things because they erase roughly $18 million in salary cap in order to keep him as a backup. But the situation is just strange. And it it is the way it is right now. But keep an eye on the San Francisco 49ers because I think the soap opera between Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo, not like they have any bad blood towards one another, but just the dynamics of those two being on the same team right now could be very interesting. And it could either inspire that team as they move through the NFC West or it could be an underlying factor as they implode as the year continues. So we'll keep an eye on that. All right, let's take a break. On the other side of the break, college football is finally starting up, and we've already got one coach on the hot seat, and we're only heading into week one. We'll talk about it in just a sec.
back in. Let's get ready to talk about some college football. It's finally kicking off this weekend, week one. We had a few games last week. One of those games we need to speak of because we already have a coach on the hot seat. We'll get to that in a moment. We'll kick things off, no pun intended. We'll get into our Wisconsin Badgers and kind of preview what their season, what the ups and downs could be. But before we do that, before I get into that, I reminded myself to make sure I mentioned to those listening, Bart Winkler, our friend formerly of the Bart Winkler Morning Show on 1250 AM, The Fan, has started a YouTube channel. So if you would be so kind, go to YouTube, click on the subscribe button for Bart Winkler. Bart will put together a bunch of zany stuff. It will be entertaining, and it helps to have those followers along for the ride. So go to YouTube and check out Bart Winkler, hit that subscribe button because once he starts putting content on that particular channel, it's going to be something to watch. All right, let's talk about our Wisconsin Badgers. The Wisconsin Badgers head into this season once again under head coach Paul Crist. It's amazing to me for how much heat a coach like Paul Crist gets in this state and really, all he's ever done is win. Now, I get it. Yes, we have not won a championship, but I think of places like the University of Illinois who are trying desperately now under Brett Bielema to kind of rebuild that brand. How many years they have now been sitting in the basement, so to speak, without much hope at all. And we can go through and name a bunch of other teams. For head coach Paul Christ at the University of Wisconsin in now his eighth year, he is 65 and 23. And I honestly think that number would shock some people because of the way people love to hammer head coach Paul Christ. Paul Christ and Greg Gard are similar in so many fashions in that publicly they don't grab you, so to speak, they're not dynamic. But yet, when you watch their teams, those players play for those coaches. And I mean that in the purest and truest sense. I'm not talking about the fact that, yeah, of course, once the ball gets kicked off, they're the head coach and the team is playing. But I mean, as far as establishing culture and family and all of those things as purists, as fundamentalists, when it comes to watching things like college football that we're into, you get that from the University of Wisconsin. So head coach Paul Chris getting ready to start year number nine. And what do we got when we talk about year number nine? Well, there's only one place we can go, and that's Graham Mertz. Graham Mertz, who has been now the starting quarterback, getting ready to go on year three, has got to take the next step. Last year, Graham Mertz threw 10 touchdown passes and 11 interceptions. It has not been what many had hoped for when it comes to Graham Mertz's tenure so far at the University of Wisconsin. This is really a make-or-break year. Now, unfortunately, in many cases, Chase Wolf uh, suffered a season-ending injury Uh, It has been rumored that the quarterback competition was wide open this year at camp. Now, publicly, no one has said anything, but the rumor mill is trudging along in the fact that the quarterback position was essentially open. And I think 
if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, it was open trying to put a little fire under Graham Mertz because as of the last how many games since that kickoff against Illinois where his career began with such fanfare, it has really been a hodgepodge of ups and downs and everywhere in betweens for Graham Mertz. Now, I'll say this, if Graham Mertz does not have a better than decent year, I have a feeling we're going to see Graham Mertz in the transfer portal next year. That's just my own feeling on it. But let's hope Graham Mertz and this offense finds a way to click. Now, last year offensively, they were doing some good things, but not enough consistently to get them over the hump against a team like Penn State or Michigan or Notre Dame. When you think back to those three losses, those three losses at the time against top 25 teams, you had a Badger program that was in all three of those games, but a mistake here, a mistake there, and not necessarily having the horses like an Ohio State has, the talent an Ohio State has, where you can overcome mistakes readily, those became deciding factors in what became a pretty much disappointing season. So a couple of things to keep an eye on. Obviously, Graham Mertz is one. Braylon Allen, nobody has really any concerns when it comes to Braylon Allen. Can he duplicate what he did last year? And that seems to be the motto every year for a good Wisconsin Badger team. If Braylon Allen is going to have the kind of year that he's going to need to have, it starts right up front with that offensive line. And last year, that offensive line, they tried to do some things that really never panned out as far as putting fresh legs in, so to speak, and being versatile and moving people. Hopefully this year they have figured out a way to find that starting group and allow them to grow, mature together, and hopefully we get an offensive line like we're used to seeing at the University of Wisconsin. On the defensive side, obviously starts with Jim Leonard, one of the best coordinators around, whether we're talking college or pro. I think Jim Leonard, if he wanted to go pro, if he let it be known to any of the NFL teams currently in existence that he wanted to be a part of their program, they would snatch him up in a second. So defensively, you've got Jim Leonard, who A, finds a way to coach his players up, and B, finds a way to put things in schematically that puts them in the best position possible. And they'll probably be led this year by Nick Herbig, who is back after having 64 tackles. He had a team high last year of nine sacks. Watching him do his thing on the defensive side of the ball, I think, could be must-see TV on a Saturday. So the Badgers, again, kick things off this week. They'll do so at 6 o'clock against Illinois State. And hopefully, unlike last year where they had some big games early, hopefully they'll take an opportunity through these three non-conference games to get a rhythm, to get their confidence before entering the Big Ten season. And they have a legitimate shot to win the Big Ten West again. What I'm not sure is if they have a legitimate shot of winning a Big Ten championship because Ohio State right now is still the cream of the crop with the amount of athletic talent that they have. They're well coached by all means, 
but speed and athletic talent kind of supersedes again when you make mistakes and Ohio State is just absolutely loaded, which then leads into this week. We've got some really good games coming up here in week one. We've got even a top five matchup, and that will be Notre Dame at Ohio State. Right now, Ohio State, as we're putting this podcast together, is anywhere between a 17 and a 17 and a half point favorite, which seems to be a little absurd when you're talking about two teams in the top five playing each other. But it also shows the difference right now between the upper echelon teams like Ohio State and Alabama and Texas A&M and the rest of college football, which is why, again, we're going to need to expand the college football playoffs. When we expanded the college basketball tournament, now I know a tournament is different than, let's say, a college football playoff scenario, but when they expanded the college playoff, the college tournament in basketball, over time you had teams that started getting into the tournament, then started winning tournaments, and when those things happen, it helps with recruiting. And now we see a much greater balance when it comes to college basketball than we see right now in college football. So I get it, the Alabamas of the world the Ohio States of the world, many teams in the SEC would push back and kind of boycott that because they rule the roost, so to speak. But if college football were to expand, not terribly much more, but a few more teams start giving other teams an opportunity to get there and start building their programs based on the fact that they have made the playoffs, I think then we would get greater parity. I know... Our friend Nick Saban wants to talk about parity, which is kind of laughable considering Alabama has really, again, been one of those teams on top of the world forever. But that would be one way of doing it because what we're going to find is, let's say Ohio State does win by 17. They beat Notre Dame by 17. Notre Dame goes on a winning streak. Maybe they lose one more game in the middle of their season finish the year on a three-game winning streak, but they have two losses, and that would immediately wash away Notre Dame from any chance at a playoff. The way the system is now, it's really hard for some of these teams to go undefeated or only have one loss because some conferences are tougher than others. Is it fair? And the way the system is now, I don't think so. That's why I think it would be nice to see it expand, but nonetheless, we do get a game as such. There's another game also, I think, that's worth keeping an eye on, and that's Florida and Utah. Utah is actually going to Florida to play the Gators. Now, the Gators are trying to kind of reassemble themselves and get back to the level of play that they were accustomed to, their stature in college football, trying to rebuild that. And here is Utah, one of those teams that has worked hard over the years to recruit and build their program and get themselves in a situation like they'll have this weekend to play an SEC team. And should they beat that SEC team, being Florida, moving themselves up into the conversation of an upper echelon team. That, I think, could be a very entertaining game, as well as Florida State and LSU. You know, it's... 
our friend Coach Kelly, here we go. You've been you've been talking and doing some goofy stuff since you've gotten to LSU. Now it's time to see the team hit the field and see what you're going to put out there. So college football up and running. Enjoy it because after this weekend, that means we'll have pro football, college football, high school footballs up and running. It is a really, really great time of the year, except for us here in the 414. We know golf season's starting to wind down, but that's another story. But it does lead me into a really nice transition, and that is the PGA and Live Golf going toe-to-toe. That coach I was telling you about that's on the hot seat, I'm going to save that for the you got to be kidding me segment as we wrap things up today. But we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back after the break, let's get into this Live Golf PGA Tour scenario that keeps playing out week after week on the front pages of our local sports pages, and we'll talk about it in just a sec. ongoing saga between the PGA and the Live Tour continues as this week we saw six more players head on over to the Live Tour, really being headlined by Cameron Smith, who one of those major championship winners now will be playing on the Live Tour. And in doing so, the Live Tour now has collected a set of players that have really dominated some of the major championships as of late. Something like 12 of the last 26 major championship winners are now part of the Live Tour, joining the likes of Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, and Brooks Kepka. Now, Harold Varner III is one of those six that moved on over this past week to the Live Tour. And I'm going to give Harold Varner III a ton of credit because he is the only one that I've at least read about who came forward and said, listen, this is family-altering money, and I'm paraphrasing here, because I'm now set, my kids are now set, my kids' kids are now set, And I can take this money and do some of the foundational work that I've been trying to do with the various foundations I've set up in order to advance the game of golf with various sections in the inner city or whether we're talking about kids, whatever the case may be. So to he, I say thank you. At least you came out and said the money is too much to pass up. I took it and I'll move forward from there. My problem is right now, the way the Live Tour is set up, the Live Tour came across as we're going to be this alter ego, I guess, of the PGA. You know, we're going to put all of our players out on the course. We're going to have a shotgun start. We're going to have teams play so players who don't win still have a chance to win. All of the things that 
Liv wanted to do. But as they attract more players, at some point you're not going to be able to do shotgun starts. And at some point you're going to have to get your product on television because YouTube is great, but the last time I clicked on YouTube to check out the Live Tour, there were like 300,000 people watching. If I had 300,000 people listening to my podcast, oh, saints be praised, but 300,000 people worldwide watching professionals being paid the sums of money that they're being paid, that's not great branding for your product right now. And quite honestly, since Bryson DeChambeau and Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson and Brooks Kepka have come over to your tour, there hasn't been a story really that has been written about them other than some of the bantering that's gone back and forth between the players and PGA players or if their names have been attached to any sort of court proceedings with regards to the two organizations and how they're facing off with one another. The Live Tour has got an abundance of money. Their pockets are deep. They're not going anywhere. But if the Live Tour is going to get relevant, there's going to have to be some changes, more changes than just the fact that you can thump your chest and say that you now possess 12 of the last 26 major championship winners. Now, some of those live players are going to get on the course this week at Wentworth because over in Europe, the, oh, the boycott against, though it exists, I think legally they are unable to not allow some of these players who have qualified to play in it, even though they've gone to the live tour. So to see the interactions or lack of interactions that take place, throughout the course of that tournament is going to be interesting to watch. And one other tidbit, I don't know what relevancy it has, but it goes to the fact, I think, of why some of these players have left. I've already said in one of our podcasts, I kind of feel as if you take the likes of a Bryson DeChambeau who had that wrist injury and wasn't sure his game, at least in the near future was going to live up to what he had been doing last year before the injury and, you know, bombing 380-yard drives and going over lakes that other players had to go around on a par 5 and so forth, you don't hear about him anymore. And you don't know really where his game is at because the tour isn't on television. Dustin Johnson is probably one of the most laid-back, talented golfers there is. I just wonder if you're giving people a ton of money, what will the competitive advantage be? You can only have so much competitive advantage within you, but you need something to pull that extra uh, out of it. And that usually is playing for a tournament championship and the prize money that exists. If you saw the FedEx Cup this past week, you saw guys who normally, let's say, would make a four-foot putt miss, and you could just tell the pressure of knowing that if I make this putt, that could be an extra 500000 or an extra million based on how things are set up. It added to the drama as viewers watching these professionals try and do what they do with regards to their craft. Phil Mickelson, we know, took the money because if you read the, the biographies, 
that are out there. The man loves to gamble, and the man has probably got some debts that needed to be paid. So he took the money. Brooks kept a guy. I can go through, and yes, some of these guys are major championship winners, but as of late, your marquee players haven't really accomplished much, and your marquee players in some cases are starting to get over the hill like Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson was looking at having a nice run here on what we used to call the senior tour. Now, being a part of the live tour and being ostracized, so to speak, that's not in the cards. Something There has to be common ground somewhere. Where that common ground is, we'll have to wait and see. Now, the one thing, again, that I have no idea what it has to do with what we're speaking of here, other than the fact that some players have gone to live and have gone and are not being missed by their counterparts on the PGA Tour. And one of those, if the rumor mill is correct, is Patrick Reed in Golf Digest had an article in which they said there were a number of other players on the PGA Tour. Their nickname for Patrick Reed was Table of One. In other words, he was kind of off by himself because he's had a propensity to do some things that the other players didn't like. And those are the people that are heading over to the Live Tour, not not in mass numbers, but those types of players where, again, where is the competition? I just don't get the same level of competition right now on the Live Tour as you see on the PGA Tour. And yet, at some point, these two organizations are going to have to figure out some sort of middle ground in order to survive. So, as always, we'll just keep following things as they progress. But I think this weekend's match at Wentworth could be must-see TV for golf fanatics because it could get very interesting watching some of these players crisscross one another on the course. After a timeout, we'll talk about the Brewers. It won't be long because it won't be long before they get ready to head for vacation. We'll get to it in just a second. sit in second place, six games out of first, behind our beloved St. Louis Cardinals, who we were worried about throughout this marathon season, who have found that extra gear and have taken the NL Central by storm. But before we talk about the Brewers, you know what the best part about last night's game was, even though they lost, was the fact that if you went to 97-3, the game, the franchise, Tim Allen, and Jeff Orlowski were there to do the post-game show. So glad for those guys to be back on the air doing the post-game show after everything that happened at 12.50. So if there was a shining light, if there was the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, it's the fact that the franchise, Tim Allen and Jeff Orlowski, were there to field the phone calls of the angst and anger of the Milwaukee Brewer fans that were either in attendance, listening to the game, watching at home, 
whatever the case may be. As we said, eight games above 500, now sitting six games out of first. They're five and five over the last 10. This team has been a 500 ball club since the All-Star break, essentially, where they've had this ebb and flow and have never found that groove like they did earlier in the year where they could go on a seven, eight game winning streak. You lose a game, you win three, you lose another one. They haven't found that type of winning mentality necessary to overtake the St. Louis Cardinals. And now the Brewers sit anywhere between a game and a half to two games, uh, missing some final scores here on my screen with regards to last night's games, especially out on the West Coast behind the wild card. And so now we're looking at a team that was thought to just handedly win the NL Central, now seemingly battling for their playoff lives to get a wild card berth. And quite honestly, I don't know what the difference there would be. I think if the Brewers got a wild card, yes, they'd be in the playoffs. How great would that be? But this team right now is just completely running out of steam. It reminds me a lot of what took place in the last couple of weeks at the end of last year's season. The only difference was the Brewers had clinched the NL Central and put it into cruise control going into the playoffs and never really regained the rhythm that they had heading into clinching the NL Central last season. This year though they're not where are nowhere near close to clinching the NL Central. Not that they've put it into cruise control. This is a group right now that looks like they've just run out of steam. An offense that's been anemic all year and now a pitching staff that's beginning to look tired. That pitching staff carried us for a long, long time this season. So before we roll our nose up at how they've been doing as a collective unit over the past weeks. Let's remember, this pitching staff carried us for a long time this season. And you can only carry somebody for so long before you yourselves find your back aching and breaking and ready for a quick rest. And the way the Brewers are playing right now, that quick rest is coming in just over a month. So the Brewers will play later this afternoon. They'll take on the Pittsburgh Pirates once again, game three of this three-game set, hoping to win the series. That's all fantastic, but you just watch this team right now, and there's really, really nothing about what's taking place that can really energize you heading into what is the most crucial part of this baseball season, which is the final stretch. So we'll wrap things up now on this episode of our podcast here in just a second with another edition of You Gotta Be Kidding Me, and we'll do it right after this. Let's wrap things up today on our podcast episode with another edition of You Gotta Be Kidding Me. And earlier in the podcast, we talked about a coach on the hot seat, and I decided let's push it into this segment because I just think it fits so well. Scott Frost, the head coach at the University of Nebraska, you gotta be kidding me. What are you doing? You're up 
in a game against Northwestern in Ireland, you decide to go for the onside kick while leading by 11 in the third quarter. You had the momentum. You had everything going your way. But you lost that momentum when you put in the onside kick. Northwestern recovers. They go on to score the final 14 points and beat you 31-28. to Here's something of interest. Scott Frost has an offensive coordinator, a defense coordinator, special teams coordinator. So Scott Frost, essentially, his job is to manage, and that's, that's a job. I'm not, I'm not taking that lightly whatsoever. But when you have coordinators and you allow them to do their job in those positions, it feels as if Scott Frost stepped in and said, let's do this and really seal the deal. You guys are doing all this coaching, and I'm standing here managing. I want to get my influence here. And in doing so, you ended up costing your team the game. Now the PR department is working overtime telling fans, hang with us. It's only one game. We need you. We need your support, A, B, C, and D. But Scott Frost, we've seen this from you pretty much all last year and the year before and you're one game into this 2022 season that you had high hopes for and interjecting yourself and putting an onside kick into play while up 11 in the third quarter, allowing the team to come back and score 14 unanswered on you? You got to be kidding me, boss. You better be ready to back up the U-Haul because I think your time at Nebraska will be quickly coming to an end. That'll do it for us on this episode of the 414 Sports Podcast. My thanks to you for listening. As always, take care of yourself. We'll talk to you soon.